Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If you've ever questioned what to do with some of the trauma that you've experienced in your life, and if the Bible or the way of Jesus is anything practical to offer in that process, this episode is for you. Uh, If you find the conversation helpful, please be sure to give us a like, a share, a subscribe. It means a lot. Thanks and enjoy. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tribe Exchange. Uh, We are really excited today to have on as a guest, Kyle Spears. Uh, Kyle is a licensed independent mental health practitioner and certified marriage and family therapist uh, out of the state of Nebraska. Uh, He works in private practice at the Attachment and Trauma Center of Nebraska, utilizing EMDR in working with complex trauma, PTSD, and DID. As a marriage and family therapist, he works to help heal marriages and complex family issues. Uh, He also specializes in helping men and women, or men in trauma, uh, masculinity, and depression. Last year, he started a YouTube channel, which is how I caught on to him and a podcast and there's a website uh called uh truth trauma and theology i believe uh we'll get we'll get all the links there for that but kyle's currently working on his first book as well uh, as he's providing uh, trying to provide a basic understanding of trauma and equip people uh in the christian world both ministers and members uh with how to navigate their own trauma uh he's also working on a book with Michael Burns, who some of you may know, uh, called The Big Lie, that will address uh, certain aspects of racial and inter- intergenerational trauma. So uh, he's got a lot going on. Kyle, it is uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, Christian, as always, great to be with you as well. Welcome. What's up, guys? It is great to be here. Yeah. Well, Kyle, let's just jump right into the deep end here. You are a trauma <laughs> specialist, and we wanted to talk to you specifically uh, about that. Uh, What is trauma? I think one of the best ways to have the conversation about trauma as it relates to kind of our experiences, I would say the theological understanding is it's a lack of Sabbath on the inside of a person. And, you know, it's a distinct types of suffering. You know, it's it's not just this idea that I'm not at peace. It's that I can't trust people. Hmm. The world doesn't feel safe. And when things don't feel safe, our basic assumptions of how we move about life are shattered. And so you've heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. The key kind of thought there when you're thinking about trauma is the post aspect. You know, trauma Mm -hmm. is one of those things to where it's not just what happens, it's what happens next. So you have these events that happen in our lives and they create a real sense of, it shatters our sense of Sabbath. You know, our ability to trust God, to trust people. And then it creates these very durable effects in our lives. You know, this isn't something that goes away easily or over time. That's why it's so pernicious is because you can experience something, let's say at the age of five and be working on it at 55. Right. And you're like, well, why, why would that be? It's just kind of, but that's how trauma works. It kind of stores itself inside of a person. And, you know, you have, an, you know, individual, collective generations, different types of trauma, um, but yeah, that, I, I guess that's kind of the 10,000 foot view. Just for, for those of who are not kind of even familiar with the, the language of Sabbath, right? When you say yeah. it affects our Sabbath, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So Sabbath has an interesting place on the Decalogue, the 10 commandments. It's in this transitional feature. There's actually three transitional commandments and it's the first commandment that incorporates this vertical and horizontal 
which is really yeah. the, the heart of the, the law. But it's this transitional aspect. And what it really kind of symbolizes is the fact that I'm in sync with God and I'm in sync with my neighbor. What trauma does it is affects a person's ability to feel like they can be in sync with God or in sync with their neighbor. Mm. And so in, in that sense, it's a lack of Sabbath. So there's a break in the relationship somewhere. And that, that's how Absolutely. you would define trauma. Absolutely. So can I, can I jump in here for a second? Um, Please. Uh, Kyle, uh, it is not a secret for, mo for, for most of us who, you know, who became Christians at one point or another, that trauma actually drives us towards, mm. towards uh, the faith oftentimes, mm. right? So tell me how that, I mean, I was like deeply depressed when I became a Christian. I was just a total mess. Yeah, same. I was so desperate. You know, so it humbles you. You go, okay, just tell me what to do, right? Uh, so that was my experience. And, uh, and I think many, I, I don't meet a lot of people who are sort of, they are self-meditating, uh, self-directed into the faith in, from a purely intellectual standpoint. This makes sense. Therefore, I'm going to do this. Uh, there are exceptions, of course. But I think oftentimes it's it's the trauma that that drives us to seeking answers and to you know in your words I think it's a really good word of of seeking the Sabbath without even knowing um, uh, what to do. So here's my question, I guess: If there's people listening to us right now who are um, wrestling and they are looking into the Christian way, right? There, all three of us are, are in that in that way. Can you explain to them in in ways that are that they can understand and are and articulate and, and sort of unpack in their minds how that how unpacking biblical wisdom can help them with with the stuff that pursues them you know like things that just you know that weight on the shoulder that you feel on the shoulders that you feel from when you were fourteen or five or ten you know. Well, there, there, there's two parts of what you've just shared. One is, is what drives us to God. And then once we get to God, how is it that we're to heal? I'm yes. with you. I think that, so you look at the life of Joseph. Joseph is probably one of my primary teachers as I, as I teach resilience, biblical resilience, because you, you have to understand resilience in order to work through your trauma. Joseph kind of goes from misery to ministry. And it becomes the basis for how he moves about in terms of loving people and caring for people is that he is his 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 resilience is almost mysterious. He goes through all these different things. And the question is, is why is it that some people become resilient and other people become resentful? And yet Joseph is a great example of someone who becomes re resilient. And I, I think at the the there's this level of that that we believe that God has a plan for the things that we have been through. That's that's one of the things that gets broke down is when you don't believe that that God has a ministry for your misery, your your misery becomes a little bit of a mystery. <laughs> and you wonder, what am I supposed to do with this? Even if it gets healed, I still have to tell the story. And typically people get stuck in the story, they don't have the pieces to tell. And so what trauma does is it gets you stuck in a part of your story. And you just don't get to the other side of it. And so in terms of, you know, the, the, the lifespan of a person, you know, God is really wanting to take the things that, that we go through. I tell people sometimes it's the stinky stuff in life that God uses as fertilizer to make us grow. The real stinky stuff, the putrid yes, stuff. That's the God has a use. That's that's in the compo compost, compost pile for who we are. Right. Um, and so that's that's to be expected. 
the thing that drives us to God and then the things that keeps us coming back to God. The problem is, and I'll just say this, the problem is, is when we, when we try to read scripture or we try to pray it away. And it, it again, trauma, there's certain aspects of when we get hurt that don't just move by the routine gestures of being a Christian. Right. Yeah. We all know plenty of Christians that even predominant, you know, leadership level, uh, you know, that you behaviorally, you can see there's some trauma, some undealt with trauma, right? There's mm. some stuff that that's a, that's a, not an unfamiliar pattern in the Christian world. Um, you know, you, you said something interesting there. You said that uh, without resilience, you can't heal from trauma, right? And, yeah. um, and I wonder if, yeah, if you could just speak to that a little bit, like, so what, what, how does that relationship with resilience equate to overcoming trauma? We have to define resilience. Resilience is two things. It's based off of resistance and it's based off of vulnerability. So there's an aspect of resilience that is about resistance. But the, the problem with resistance in and of itself is it, it doesn't take into consideration capacity. So when we get hurt, it drops our capacity. Our ability to resist at times gets affected by what we go through. So resistance is a part of being a Christian. A resistance is a part of being a survivor versus being a victim, right? Then there's this other spec, uh, aspect that's vulnerability. Vulnerability, if I can give you a definition, is the susceptibility to grace and assistance. Vulnerability is the susceptibility to grace and assistance. That's that other feature of resilience that's necessary to have capacity, right? Mm. When you look at Joseph's life, great example, Joseph weeps over seven times between Genesis 37 and 50. And we're not just talking about a couple crocodile tears. We're talking about losing it. And, you know, he even tells, you know, Pharaoh, I can't do it, but God can in terms of the interpretation. He, he, he tells his jailer, that it was the cup baker, or the cup bearer and the baker, he tells one of them, don't forget me. Of course, they forgot him for two whole years, but he trusts people that let him down. Right. Resilient people take risks. You can tell when someone's really getting hurt because they stop risking. And that's a mark of resilience. But again, it's the ability to t depend on people who are going to let you down because you have a God who doesn't. Yeah. But again, what trauma does is it kind of shatters that that again, that Sabbath, that sense of I can trust God and I can trust people. But resilience is both about resistance, but it's also about vulnerability. Yeah, I think we probably have a pretty like I, if my guess is that if you ha said ask most people what is resilience, they would probably get the resistance part, right? Like put your head down, keep going, like grind it out, yeah. persevere. And that's, you know, not a Christian thing as much as that's just a you got to, you know, you got to have resilience in the workplace or in your academic pursuits or whatever, right? Just keep going, right? Uh, the vulnerability part is different. That's a different component. That's a, uh, that's, I think that sounds, you know, even a little unique maybe to the Christian lens, but um, maybe you could just speak to that a little bit. Like what, what is it about the vulnerability that allows us to develop uh, resistance? Cause that's probably, at least for a guy, I can say that's probably the one part that yeah. I go, mm, that sounds a little bit more uncomfortable than actually just the, like, put my head down and, and keep moving. And, and also how, how does that look like, for example, in practical terms? So let, let me give you a little bit yeah. of, for example, for me, right. Yeah. I've been through military coups, civil war, civil unrest, refugee camps. Wow. And somehow a lot of it, it actually strengthened me, right? Nine, 
three different continents moving, different cultures, a minority everywhere I've went. The one thing that does me in is the divorce of my parents from all of those things, which is sort of the most sort of widely, <laughs> widely experienced, right, uh, things. Why? And then how do you, for example, somebody like myself, right? Imagine like 25 years ago, this is a kid who comes into in, in contact with the faith and he has this collection of trauma, right? Um, for, for me, I'm just curious, why the divorce specifically, right? Like why is that the vulnerable things? space? Yeah, 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 exactly. And then what does that, what does that vulnerability look like? For example, you experienced divorce when you was a kid, when you were a kid, I basically didn't trust that uh, relationships could work out. There was this basically sort of self-sabotage in relationships. How does that look like practically? I, you come in, okay, you want resistance. How does the vulnerability look like specifically in this situation, for example? That's a great question. And I love, I mean, that that's one of the things that we, you know, that's, that's a conversation in and of right. itself. I'd say, again, going back to vulnerability, it, this is where I actually, so when I think of my thesis work, so I've got a, a ways to go on my educational journey. My thesis work is actually going to be on the subject of biblical humanity. So in other words, we, we understand we, as, as Christians, we typically feel pretty threatened by humanism. But if you look at it, most people don't know how to articulate what it means to be human biblically. Hmm. What does right. it mean to be human? And I think because of that, uh, it's very, very murky. But I'd say in some ways, we think that being human is bad. And so we can moralize certain things, you know, in terms of feeling weak or vulnerable, you know, with men. Let's just take men. I did a, a, a video recently on reaching men with a, with a colleague of mine. And when it comes to if, if men feel weakness or incompetence, they shut down. Right. Right. So it, I don't have the answer or I feel like I'm not strong enough. Typically, men don't do well when it comes to that, which is blocks their ability to risk with people. It blocks their ability to be vulnerable. I think when it comes to uh, when people get childhood wounds in their in their kidhood, sometimes what happens is 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 that there's these toxic assumptions that form. Um, I always ask people, "What does it mean about you?" So if we, if we think about a trauma, most people are going to say, "Well, the world's not safe, or police aren't safe, or the minister isn't safe, or my spouse who stepped out on me—they're the problem, or my child who won't obey me—they're the problem." What you have to do is you actually have to get it a little bit closer to where a person doesn't feel like they can keep themselves safe mm. or they can't keep their family together. And so the unfortunate heritage of divorce creates these toxic assumptions. And I'm not saying this happened for you, but it happened for me. So what can happen is, is to some degree, people can have these damaged self-concepts that come into essentially that occur because we go through an experience that we feel like inappropriately, we should have had the power to keep our family together. Kids are infamous for this. Kids internalize responsibility probably more than adults. Wow. And I'm not saying that happened for you. Right. Okay. But it happens for a lot of people because what our brain does when we go through a traumatic experience is it gives us, at least in the initial, it gives us this distorted um, idea that we're, we have more control than we think. So what it'll do is it, your brain would rather tell you that it's your fault than that you don't have control. <laughs> and so we have these very toxic assumptions that form, and then it, it creates kind of these demands of us wherever we go that we feel like we have to be in control or, you know, it's all our far. My minister was preaching yesterday, and for him, he, he said this in the pulpit. He said, when I was growing up, 
I had this negative self-belief that's all my fault. So when I hear someone say something in the congregation, I usually, my first default is just to say it's my fault. And that's his old wiring from when he was a kid that he has mm. to work on and just became aware of more so as an older man. So right. it takes a while to even become aware of some of this stuff. And that's why it's so difficult. So when you start to catch on to some of these um, limiting factors, right? And maybe they show up cyclically in your marriage where, you know, you, you run into this space of, I don't feel competent or, you know, I, I can't remember you, how you put it. Like when, when guys yep. feel like they don't have the answers, right? We, we don't feel competent right. to, to step in. Um, and you start to run into some of these limiting factors. Maybe it's cycles at work. You're having the same fight with a different boss. It's the same fight that you keep having every time you go into a place of employment. Or it's the same breakdown in a relationship with a minister. Or it's the same breakdown in how you view the world. You know, um, What do we do then? So we're starting to run into it. And we're willing to go, okay, maybe it's not outside of me. Maybe it's a question, like you said, of what does that say about me? What do we do with that? And and maybe a same sort of same question as divorce, right? Neglect, trauma of that sort. Mm. You you and and maybe you can break break it down. Obviously, clearly there's layers to us, right? So there's a journey. Yeah. And as as you mentioned, some I mean, we we encounter revelations and healing throughout the journey. Mm-hmm. But let's say let's just shrink that to somebody's exploring a faith and saying, How can this faith help me? with this particular thing right in the in, in the first like year or two like what yeah. are the first steps for example i mean the yeah. practical of how to how do you go from i feel incompetent to oh i think i can i can do something with this through the faith specifically well let's let's go back to the first question first uh what's really important whether you study trauma or you're just a human being is you have to realize that most times we are reenacting something more than we are reacting to something So if you're reacting to something, there's likely a reenactment that's happening of something that's really more uh, indicative of our family of origin. We don't realize how how much our family of origin trains us to do relationship for the rest of our lives. Kyle, would you call that a trigger? Is that as far as like you're reacting to something that's already happened? Like you this reaction that you're having is actually based on something that's already happened, not what's happening right now. Absolutely. Okay. And then what trauma does is it sticks a volume knob in terms of the intensity on a situation and it turns it way up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you don't have the ability. Great example are the holidays. We're, we're in, we're amidst the holidays as a therapist, the holidays start months before the holidays. Like people start having these things, these breakdowns because the holidays are coming and the holidays are tough because they're, they're reflective of celebration and loss. Uh, They're representative of, of good and hard. And so I think to some degree, people just, we don't have the awareness, the EQ, the emotional intelligence, even sometimes they even think through the year, like, Hey, this time of year affects me more than others. And so to speak. And so what happens is we're driving on the road or maybe we're at church, we're getting a fight with someone else, but it's really about something else that's unresolved. That's just how trauma works. It's unresolved, and then our, we just kind of keep going with life, and then there's this area of our life that we're having issues. Um, the second question, the se- what was the second question well, you said the it, first how year? Does, how does the Christian framework specifically offer someone resolve? Yeah, even if you, who's even if you sh- yeah, even if you shrink it, let's say, let, let's not think of it of 20, 30 years of a journey. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. think about first two years. 
Egypt's, right? Yeah. Of, because I remember mine, uh, but I'm very curious about what happens there. Um, and I think it's a treasure, right? I just wanted to make sure that we, if we can unpack that, I think it would be very helpful for, for people to go, oh, this can actually shift things for me and redirect my trajectory. I mean, that's sort of what I'm asking. How? How does it redirect your trajectory? How does what redirect your trajectory? Having Coming in contact with the faith, gotcha. specifically. So one of the things that I remember from becoming a young Christian is I wanted a dad. When I think of why I became a Christian and swore my allegiance to Christ is because I wanted a father. My dad wasn't really there a whole lot. So you you really can't separate to some degree why someone becomes a Christian from, from some of that stuff that's been over a significant period of time. However, when you first become a Christian, the most important, <laughs> the absolute most important aspect from an attachment lens is attachment. That That is literally for the first five years of someone's Christianity, as far as you look at developmental milestones, right, that people right. have to hit. They have to hit that attachment, which is why, like, you know, studying out deeper stuff and all of that is probably not what you want to do for a younger Christian. That's what you want to do at year 20. And they've even found people, when you look at research of when people tend to walk away from fellowships, it's at year five and year 20. And the needs are very different developmentally yeah. at fi year five as a Christian and year 20 as a Christian. And mm, year five is really, really based in really trying to get someone attached when you look at when Paul writes, he writes to these budding circuit of house churches. It's about that attachment. It's about what you knew when you started to believe. When your faith started, don't let go of that. It's the ABCs. Mm -hmm. It's the it's just in, in, in terms of the elementals. And really getting that attachment is so key. However, if you don't understand your attachment style, I've actually done a video on this. If you don't understand your attachment style, sometimes what will happen is you'll have, again, an issue being in sync with God and being in sync with your neighbor if you don't understand how your attachment works. A great example, anyone could go take How We Love. It's a How We, you go to howwelove.com. It's a, it's, a, it's a screener that you can take and it'll tell you kind of what your attachment style is. The reason why that's important is because when you're young, you need a lot of love and you need help in terms of helping people to love you better. And so something as simple as knowing how your attachment style works sets people up around you to love you better and meet your needs more often. So those are the types of things that are really important as far as someone developing as time goes on, as time gets hard, you know, things get harder and they're working through their stuff. They've got to have that attachment piece. So can you, okay, so he, here's the follow-up question. And I am, by the way, I've, I've watched your attachment style video. It's fantastic. It's oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, wow. man, I do my research. Uh, <laughs> But here's my question. Uh, it is fantastic and it is a great tool. But let's say somebody has no access to how howtolove.com um, and it's this pure, hey, I found some, some, some people that believe in Jesus. They read their, this old book. They sing songs together. They do these prayers that I don't quite understand. Uh, who are you talking to exactly? <laughs> you know, I come from an atheist background, so I'm sort of re wow. recreating the construct, right? Um, how does this, uh, this, what you talked about, get instilled purely through the faith experience, the first steps? In the yeah, Christian so, faith? yeah, again, I'll, I'll go back to, to the narrative of why someone becomes a Christian. You know, as soon as they become a Christian, they start making meaning of what they've been through. 
And so we start to have what's called corrective experiences. So if I, if, if I, I now all of a sudden become a Christian and I, I'm actually going to do a video on how do we take care of new Christians coming up this month? Cause there's, you want to handle it, right? You want to, you want to, you want to, you don't want to traumatize them right. uh, with your stuff. But um, I think that one of the biggest things is to, to help them to be good at telling the truth. And I think that when you, when you deal with trauma and you heal from trauma, you have to become a truth teller and, and you have to get you have to get straight on 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 truth. And I, I think when someone's really young in the faith, I think it's really important that they are. And this sounds really, I, I know this sounds really primitive, but it's really important that they're reading their Bible. Again, I talked about attachment before. Um, and, and and then what happens? They start to have corrective experiences. You know, they start to develop resiliency. They start to be able to resist. And then they start to get a track record. And they're like, "This works. I'm glad I became a Christian." But again, we've got to have somewhat of an, I think we also have to prepare people that when they get converted, that's when the work really starts. And so I think like the Psalms, you, you take the Psalms, Jesus, you think of Hebrews five, I think uh, seven and eight during Jesus' days on earth, you know, he offered up prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death. Um, and he was heard because his reverent for su submission. I think there's an aspect of like Jesus, like use the Psalms, Paul, like the Psalms are used. I think the Psalms are great for a new Christian. Um, to develop that emotional awareness, you know, because yeah. Satan really attacks you emotionally. And sometimes when you're young, you just, you need that. And so I think the Psalms are great when someone's new. If that, if that, does that kind of answer a little bit of? Yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, for me, I remember the first, these, uh, the, there's two types of corrective, corrective uh, experiences that I remember. One is through scripture. One is through experience. Through scripture, it was reading out loud the Sermon on the Mount. And I was so, un uh, uh, it unpacked an emotional, it just, it just broke through some emotional barriers in my heart. And I remember reading it and just crying and I was reading it out loud because I understood on a very core level that, that this guy, Jesus, who I never thought was any of any significance to me, um, had this completely different life that I can now rediscover, discover. Right. And it's going to change like this very primal response. And the other one was yeah. um, experiential because I just saw people who were, for example, in me with me was divorce, right? That was what did me in. And I saw people happily married and they were like, this is how you get, you can totally do this. You can be competent. Basically, that's exactly what you're saying. <laughs> and they, they, like, you can, you can, and you, I go, I don't, I went from knowing nobody who's happily married to knowing a bunch of people who are happily married and they're all pointed to the same place. And I'm like, I guess I can be competent. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, let me ask you this, Kyle, because I mean, yeah. what you're saying, you know, community matters, right? For whoever yes. that is, the community that they enter into, that they engage with initially as this kind of new framework, it matters, right? And uh, what what's the substance, what's the ethos of that community when it comes to things like, you know, learning experiences and and tripping and falling along the way and and vulnerability. And, you know, I remember early on, one of the best pieces of advice I got, I was like, you know, weeks old as a Christian, somebody just said to me, you know, and it was like somebody who had been a Christian for five years or six years at that point, which seemed like forever. Um, they said, you know, just stay open no matter what happens, just stay open. And, uh, and that's honestly, I feel like in just that one simple proverbial like, experience, like yeah. I'm going to own that. I'm just going to stay open no matter what, no matter how ugly, no matter how much I mess up at this Christian thing, I'm going to stay open. I feel like that's really provided so much, but in the right community. So maybe you could just speak to that a little mm. bit too. What should people be looking for in community? Um, Cause we're all, you know, 
we, we may intersect with Christianity in a different space, a different group of people. What should people be looking for in a community that's going to help them work through that? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the number one thing that, that comes up as I research trauma is safety. Whether you, it's shame, trauma, guilt, being abused, you need safety. Emotional safety is primary. Safety is number one about being able to ask questions, right? Communities that uh, kind of are addicted to certainty, it's probably not going to feel like a safe place, hmm. um, you know, and I'm not going to pick on, you know, anyone particular, but I mean, we, you know, certainty is one of those things that can very much preclude safety is that we're so busy trying to be certain that right. I, you know, so I, we can't ask questions if we're supposed to already have it figured out. Right. Um, but I think not feeling like things are certain for some people makes them feel like it's not safe. Mm. <laughs> so I think that's kind of a catch 22 for people, but being able to ask questions. I think the other thing that I love about even just our community is I feel like I can be human. Like even, mm. you know, I, that, you know, people who allow me to be human and to be a mess and not just not just make a mess, but but be a mess. <laughs> That's good. There's a good differentiation <laughs> you know I mean? there. Not just make a mess, yeah. And and not just be a mess, but also be a process. People who see me as a process. Hmm. That's one of the most healing, and we talk about corrective experiences because people take the long view on you, just like right. God does. So I think that's really important. Is the, are you in a community where, where you can really be human? But again, that that isn't. We have to understand what it means. I mean, Jesus was not afraid, ashamed of his humanity, and we shouldn't be ashamed of ours. Right. So it's yeah, that's kind of a kind of part. Well, of I love that. yeah, that's a great distinction. You're looking for a community that takes a long view, right? Like that's yeah. Going, hey, this is you. You said you're a process, but we're all on a journey, right? No, yeah. Nobody enters into this thing, having it all figured out, we've all got all the stuff we got to work through. And that's a journey. That's a process. Um, and a community that takes a long view with each other, man, that's a beautiful community of grace. Well, and truth, right? That there's, we are a process. We are growing. We're not just making messes, but we're healing yeah. along the way. We're, we're transforming along the way, but, um, but it's a journey. I've had some, I'll just I, say this. I've had some pretty full diapers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. As a young Christian, yeah, we all need some help. Yeah, that's right. But but I, I guess that's probably the second uh, dimension of what you mentioned is that safety is absolutely massive, mm -hmm. uh, massively important for us to even start the journey. So you don't feel safe. It's really a non-starter, I think, right. in a community, right? At the on the other hand, there's this. You know, you can you can come as you are, and I think that's what Jesus does. But you don't stay. You don't expect it to stay as you are. And, right. and, 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 you know, that's what I love about the, the person of Jesus is that he's incredibly patient and forgiving and graceful. And then there's this edge to him mm -hmm. that where he goes, you yeah. brutal vipers. You, I yeah, mean, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He snaps oh, yeah. into from safe to challenge and back all the time. Absolutely. And, and so my question to you is, what's the value of that? I mean, I, obviously, we see the we see that in Scripture played out, right? You, you, you know, I don't judge you either, right? Go, go and sin no more. And then Peter says something, goes, "Get behind me, Satan!" Right? right. So it's it's the, the edge changes uh, considerably. So, but I think you look at Jesus and you go, "Wow, he can he can embody both perfectly," and I think that's true. How does that reflect in a community, for example, Di community dynamics? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the terms that I've been using 
frequently, and I'll, I'll try to briefly summarize this, is there's a difference between a stubborn heart and a stubborn wound. Okay. Hmm. Okay. When you, when you think about stubborn heart versus stubborn wound, you have two perspectives. Both are true. Stubborn heart. We all have stubborn hearts. You look at Israel. You look at the New Testament, all the things that Paul has. Paul has some very full diapers in the New Testament he has to deal with. We, we have stubborn hearts. And if you repent, it absolutely is healing. Repentance saves you pain. It saves you turmoil, period. That's true. However, what's also true is Jesus' approach to people who were paralyzed, were deaf, caught in the act, act of adultery, people who couldn't lower themselves through the roof. And Jesus sees the wound. He doesn't just see yeah. the sin. And so what happens is in our society, people polarize into both camps. You have folks who just say, you just need to repent and that'll take care of things. And then you have others who say, um, actually, it's about the wound. And that's where the sin comes from because you're trying to medicate the thing. Both are true. And I think one of the hardest things to ask people to do is to hold a both and. Right. That creates more stress and more anxiety spiritually and emotionally than anything else. But that is absolutely it's both. There it's messier, aspects. right? Yeah, it, it is messier. It's messier we want clean. We want certain. Yeah, and it also but, creates actually transformation. Right, holding yes. them both. It creates the healthiest communities right. in right. my in my experience. That's right. You know, it's like in, in tribe in our community, we basically say this is a safe place to heal and a challenging place to be, all in the same. Yeah, I like part. That. You know, uh, but I really love what you mentioned is the stubborn heart and the stubborn wound. That's I'm going to remember that. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Kyle, um, it has been a really just a great conversation. Thank you for unpacking some of these ideas for us. I know there's a lot more. Obviously, uh, it's clear you are uh, a wealth of knowledge and insight in this uh, arena. Um, where can people find out more about things you're working on and, and what you got going on? Sure. I appreciate you asking me. I am so grateful to come on. Um, Truth Trauma Theology dot com is my website uh, my youtube my podcast there's blog articles there there is my speaking schedule you can also sign up for my newsletter where you can see all the guests that i've got coming up and then you won't miss anything um and i've, I've got a, a training i'm going to be coming up i'm going to be doing next uh month in dallas it's going to be a small church conference looking forward to that and then after that i'm powering down because we're about to have our second kid all right congratulations <laughs> man so we're super excited. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. Congratulations. We'll make sure Thanks. we get all well, that stuff in the show notes. Thank yeah, that, that was, uh, Kyle, it was fantastic. I think we need to have you back. Yep. Like several times, just from this one conversation. Yeah. Amen. Uh, very, very enriching, very enlightening, and uh, hopefully helpful to the people, that, to our audience listening.